Welcome to The Deduction, a podcast from the Tax Foundation, your independent guide to the complicated world of tax and economics. On this episode, Tax Foundation Vice President of State Projects Jared Walzak and Senior Policy Analyst Ulrich Boson discuss the current state of highway funding in America and explore innovative options for funding future road projects. And now, here's Jared Walzak. There's always been something appealing about the open road. It's very American, that idea, maybe even more so now when we're all stuck at home. Uh, There's 4 million miles of road in this country, including 160,000 miles of interstate highway, and someone has to pay for it. But how do we fund our roads? It's a system we've had since the earliest days of the automobile, but is it the right way? Is it the right way path forward? I'm Jared Walzak, Vice President of State Projects at the Tax Foundation. And I'm joined by Ulrich Boson, our Senior Policy Analyst for Excise Taxes. Ulrich, good to have you here. Thanks for having me. You know, Ulrich, you have a new paper out on transportation taxes at both the federal and the state level. You talk about gasoline and diesel excise taxes. You talk about the possibility of a vehicle mile travel tax. And you have some other ideas for funding transportation for the future. So talk to us a little about why the motor fuel tax is a pretty good tax and why you're concerned that it may become less effective over time. Absolutely. So the way we currently fund our roads is is mainly through the excise tax that we levy on gasoline and diesel. And this is, as you said, a fairly well-designed tax because it achieves two goals. It raises revenue to pay for the roads and it internalizes some externalities that are um, connected to the consumption of gasoline. So when you drive a petroleum-fueled vehicle, you're causing some externalities um, and you're contributing to congestion. So these externalities, as well as revenue, um, mean that we, we're, we're looking at a pretty well-designed tax because it is we're using the, the gasoline as a proxy for how much uh, you use the road um, in a way to raise revenue for the, those roads. So, so that, that comes out pretty well. Um, now, one of the issues that we have is because we're using gasoline as a proxy, the development in both uh, miles per gallon and um, what I mean to say is the fuel efficiency of the cars, as well as cars that do not use gasoline at all. That means that um, gasoline may not be as good of a proxy as it has been in the past. And I have a, a few numbers that I wanted to share with you guys. Uh, so if we if we go back to the last time that um, the federal government adjusted the gas tax, which was in 1993, the following year, 1994, a, a, an average passenger car would go 20.7 miles per gallon. That resulted in, in drivers paying roughly 3.2 cents in state and federal taxes per uh, vehicle miles traveled. Now, speed up to 2018, we now have cars that go 24.4 miles per gallon, but the tax is the same or the same rate. That means drivers now pay only 2.1 cents uh, in taxes per vehicle mile travel. That's a decline of 34%. So that, that gives you a pretty good picture of why the gas tax is a proxy for you, road usage uh, might not be as efficient as it once was, specifically um, the federal tax because it hasn't been adjusted for 27 years. When you mentioned the federal tax, and of course, the current federal transportation funding package, FAST, is nearing its end. I mean, it's a FAST nearing its end. Uh, so Congress, I guess it has its transportation naming conventions, ICE-T, T-21, Safety Lou, all the T's, but they are going to have to revisit this soon. So could tax changes be part of the picture? Your report certainly shows that many states have raised their gas taxes over the past decade or two. Uh, sometimes they're indexing them to inflation. And state revenue, therefore, has been much more stable than federal revenue. What are you expecting out of Congress? 
Well, Congress certainly could look at tax uh, taxes as a way to fund the the highway fund. Um, as I said, they haven't they haven't adjusted their um, they haven't adjusted their rate for almost twenty seven years. And and one thing that could be done is simply to adjust it. Uh, to inflation, that would mean we would raise the same in real terms today that we did 27 years ago. Uh, that is certainly one option. And and I guess that's a, a, a likelier short-term option than developing a completely new levy for funding the roads. So if it's not a gas tax, if it's something else, uh, what could we be looking at? You mentioned a vehicle mouse travel tax in your paper. Would that be better? Is it a more equitable system than what we have right now? The vehicle mass travel tax does off, offer an option f- to replace the um, the current gas tax levy, uh, and and it it certainly has the opportunity to be a more equitable uh, solution. It does that because it is not using a proxy to estimate how much you're using the roads, but actually taxing you based on how much you're using the roads. Uh, that way, we can very clearly uh, tie the levy to the expense. The reason I said that it may not be a short-term opportunity is that it's a rather complicated system to establish and develop. Um, and the fast the FAST Act, the funding mechanism for the highway fund, expires by the end of September. And I would not expect the Congress to develop a, a completely new tax system in such a short short window of time. Yeah, certainly. Congress does not move that fast. But uh, a lot of people do seem to think that the VMT is the wave of the future this is coming. Uh, but there's also a lot of concerns that we hear. Uh, many people are, I think, quite legitimately concerned about privacy if we move to a VMT, uh, the government having a log of where you're driven and how much time you spent there. I mean, it seems like a valid concern. So how can that be addressed if you have a state VMT or if you have a federal VMT? Privacy is definitely the, one of the key issues when we're talking about a VMT. And there, there, there are different options uh, that we go through in the report. A very legitimate concern is to hand over that much detail of your whereabouts at, at any given time to a government um, entity. Uh, but one option could be to contract a third party that would then own the data, as well as obviously develop a very clear data protection regulation surrounding that data. What we want to avoid is that other agencies and authorities have access to your data uh, for non VMT tax related uh, issues. Now, there's there's a couple of issues I think that are worth mentioning here. As you mentioned, there might be a state VMT or a federal VMT. A federal VMT would obviously make it a lot easier for the state. And that's because if you have a, a, a single state that decides to move ahead with the VMT, then have to establish their own system. It can be very hard for them because there will be a lot of outer state drivers using their state roads. But if they have a federal system they can piggyback on, some of that might be alleviated. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. I've seen some things about some of the pilot programs that a handful of states have, uh, mainly in the Pacific Northwest. And right now, it's sort of a secondary system. It's uh, on top of the gas tax. So you have people who are opting in, uh, they pay a vehicle mile travel tax, and then they basically return all of their receipts for gas taxes and get that refunded. Uh, That's obviously not a long-term solution. No one wants to have that sort of burden. Uh, But you do have this huge problem. If you have drivers coming in from out of state that aren't enrolled in your VMT, then you have to maintain the gas tax or you need some other way of charging them. Uh, and that puts really a huge burden on your in-state residents in addition to all of the privacy concerns. So in, in your view, can this be realistically done for uh, passenger vehicles uh, at a single state level or a group of states? Or can it really only happen when there's a national system that states could choose to piggyback off of? 
I think a group of states or a single state going ahead with this would cause a lot of issues. Uh, as you mentioned, there's a couple of the, the pilot projects that are trying it out with, with opt-in options, uh, but it, it, w- it would inevitably put it in the states. Uh, a, a group of states or a single state could theoretically move ahead with a, with a VMT tax, but it would put a lot of burdens on state residents because, uh, as you mentioned, if you have to run two systems simultaneously, the residents would need to document either all their um, the gas tax purchases if you still have that system running. So I think realistically, if you have to have a well-functioning system that does not add too much burdens on the taxpayer, you need a national system that the states can tap into. You know, let's take a step back, because I think for a lot of listeners, this is a new idea, you know, changing up the taxation that we've had for basically a century. The first gas tax was in Oregon, I believe, in 1919. So we are a century out from that, uh, shaking it up, going to something new. There's a question of why. Why does it matter? Even if it's better calibrated to driving, why is that so important? So maybe talk to me a little about this concept of transportation infrastructure funded by transportation-related taxes, whether that's motor fuel taxes or tolls or VMT tax. You know, why is that important? Because there's a lot of other things in government we don't fund that way. That's true. Uh, one of the, the beauties of the, of the gas tax is that it has adhered to the benefit principle. And what that basically says is that the people that benefit from a service are also the ones paying for it. That makes it um, it makes it very easy for taxpayers to know what they're what they're buying, what they're paying into, and you can you can tie expenditures uh, directly to your revenues. The benefit principle is particularly important when it comes to these narrow based excise taxes, which uh, the gas tax or VT, VMT tax or VMT um, tax would be, because it is levied on one specific product or one specific type of consumption. And it's very important that in, in those situations that the expenditures are tied directly to uh, spending programs related to that product or consumption. Uh-huh. I, I think that that's just, it, it just shows the gas tax or VMT tax shows how you can build uh, a, a well-designed uh, excise tax system that benefits the taxpayers um, and specific, specifically, obviously, the taxpayers that they use the system. And using the system is perhaps a really important point here because people might say, well, I don't own a car. But the reality is you bear some of the burden of the motor fuel taxes that are out there. You know, every time you shop online and something's delivered to you, every time you go to a store, however you got there, and you take advantage of all of the uh, you know all the products that are stocked there because there is a vast distribution network in this country that uses substantially the roads, more so in this country than in most. Uh, you know, all of that, it's paying gas and diesel taxes, and you are benefiting from that. And to some degree, it's embedded in some of the prices you're paying. So all of us are paying for it. We're paying for it in much greater proportion to our use. Now, one of the criticisms often of the way that gas and diesel taxes are imposed right now is that it really doesn't take into account the difference between commercial and passenger utilization. Uh, even if diesel rates are a little higher, it's certainly not proportional to uh, the much heavier weight of those vehicles, the greater wear and tear. And you know, commercial vehicles are an interesting side of this because in your paper, you talk about that as a potential temporary step forward, a way that states could start thinking about moving into a new way of taxing transportation. So talk to us a little about what it would look like to use the VMT tax model just for commercial and why that might be a little more practical to use it for shipping first. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to emphasize that the one of the reasons that that it might be it might be a good idea to look at short-term solutions or a one step at a time is 
the, the, the privacy issue that we discussed before, we don't necessarily have all the answers that we need at this point in time to go ahead with a full-fledged uh, all vehicles included national VMT tax system. But one option that is possible is to do a system that would tax commercial traffic via the, the VMT tax. Now, the way that they're currently taxed is that the, the diesel taxes that they pay is a portion between the states that they drive through, which means they're already tracked. And states are already used to a system where, based on the, the, the travel that these commercial vehicles do within their state, they will get uh, tax revenue corresponding to that travel. That means it's a relatively simple transformation to say, rather than paying the diesel tax, commercial traffic would pay a VMT tax, and we would track the amount of miles that they have driven in any given state. That serves two purposes. One's, the, the first one being that, it is, as I said, using the actual miles is a much better proxy than using diesel as a proxy for the miles. Second, it also allows governments in departments of transportation to to get a few lessons uh, and, and pick up a few valuable, let's say, valuable information about how you actually go ahead and run a system like this if we were to eventually include all vehicles into the system. So because commercial traffic is already is already tracked, because we already apportion their, their tax pay, payments between states, this is a relatively simple thing to do. It's something that could be due in the short term. And because they are the ones that cause most of the wear and tear on the roads due to their significant weight, um, this is a, is a natural first, first step. And then eventually, if this is successful, I believe you could you could look at including more and more cars. Uh, maybe a next step would be to think about what do we do with electric vehicles. Currently, they don't contribute anything to the to the gas tax uh, revenue, obviously, because they don't they don't use gas. Um, so maybe electric vehicles would be the next step. Currently, some states have this in between system where you pay a higher vehicle registration fee if you buy an electric uh, vehicle because because you're not contributing through the gas tax. So I think there there are certain ways to get there. Commercial traffic being the first obvious step, maybe electric vehicles next, and then we'll see where we're at. I don't think when that that much of a hurry with replacing the gas tax because even as I said, even if revenue per vehicle miles traveled is declining, it's not declining at incredible speed. If states or the federal government would adjust their rates to inflation, like most states have, the decline is is rather gradual. And I and I think there's a, there's a there's opportunity for the states in the federal government to take certain lessons through a smaller system, short term, that would eventually turn into a system that could encompass all cars and vehicles. Yeah, I think it is very valuable that states understand that transportation tax revenue should be different. You, know, you ideally don't want to be using other sources of revenue for that. And many states do. They're borrowing from you know, the general fund in different ways to pay for the roads. And ideally, you want a gas tax that's keeping up in such a way that you don't need to raise other taxes on general activities to be paying for your transportation. You bring up some good points about how we can potentially structure this to try a new system and maybe you know, bring commercial trucking into that. I think a lot of people probably aren't aware that we already have that apportionment system under the uh, International Fuel Tax Agreement where, sure, you're paying the diesel tax price at the pump, but ultimately it's getting allocated out. So that's really interesting, thinking of the ways that we could potentially use that as a foothold into a VMT-type framework. Uh, 
what that brings up, though, as a question is, should we treat those trucks differently? Because right now, diesel's diesel. I mean, you can have a different rate on diesel, but you can't take into account the curb weight of a vehicle or um, you know the, the number of axles. You do take some of these things into account on toll roads. Does it make sense to bring in those considerations for a commercial VMT? And is there any sort of line that we don't want to go beyond where we say, you know, we're not comfortable making these sort of granular distinctions, especially as we bring passenger vehicles in for how we charge these taxes? Yeah, you bring up a good point. Um, I think weight weight is one of the simplest, but also most important parameters that you would want to include in the VMT tax system. So, So one... Uh, calculation that, that I have in the report that I think is, is rather telling is that if you have a an 80,000 pound five axle tractor, that causes the same damage to the road as 9,600 cars, even though it only weighs about 20 times as much. Now, that's not to say that you should tax commercial traffic 9,600 times what you tax a regular car, but it does indicate that you would want to see some differentiation between uh, smaller, lighter cars and heavier uh, commercial traffic. Uh, so basically, the simplest way to do that would be to calculate the weight per axle, because that's the that's the important parameter. Is the the weight increases the damage, but then but the number of axles decrease the damage. So you would encourage commercial. Uh, traffic to have the least amount of weight per axle. So that that would be weight, obviously, is a very important parameter for this. Now, you can dream up a million scenarios for how to differentiate this tax. And I, and I don't think you necessarily want to go too deep into that rabbit hole. But one option would be to differentiate between urban traffic and rural traffic. Um, you could You could make the argument that people who drive in rural parts of the country do not contribute to congestion in the same way, and maybe they need to pay a, a lower rate. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there are, there are arguments that could be made about driving in rush hour versus not in rush hour. We know this from public transportation. Oftentimes, the tickets are more expensive during peak than, than off-peak. So this is sort of a a common way of differentiating prices. And there's there's hundreds more where those came from, but we obviously don't want to differentiate so much that, that the system becomes unnecessarily complex. We still want to keep it relatively simple for the taxpayers to understand what they're paying and why they're paying it. But there are options to, to try and, and make the system as effective as possible and to try and raise the most money from the, the kind of driving and kind of road uses that causes most of the cost to the, to the governments. Yeah, and you run into this tension there of, you know, how do you make the most efficient tax, but also is it transparent? Uh, does it get way too engaged? And I think most taxpayers would probably hope that there would be a limiting principle, uh, that there's just not endless tinkering that policymakers can do that driving in one part of the state is more expensive than driving in another. And those will be important conversations to have down the line. Uh, so obviously, a lot of big questions for states, uh, not just in the next year or two, but in the coming decades. Is there anything else states should be looking at uh, to sort of bridge that gap? Anything that states should think about in the short term that maybe they're not doing now, or at least not enough of them are doing now? Well, there's a, there's a few things that I think are worth mentioning uh, since we're talking about transportation taxes. Uh, at the current point in time, only four states are raising enough revenue from their from their dedicated transportation levies to cover the their sort of share of, of the spending on, on road maintenance. So what that's telling us is that out of the 50 states, 46 are borrowing from their general fund. That's a problem because it, um, it runs afoul of the benefit principle that we discussed earlier. But at the same time, we have 
25 states that divert revenue from their motor fuel taxes to completely unrelated spending programs, which makes this problem even, even worse. So a few examples is that Kansas and Texas spend some of their motor fuel revenue on education, Utah on tourism, and Florida does uh, spend some money on wildlife con- conservation. While these can all be you know, perfectly legitimate spending priorities, they certainly shouldn't be paid for by motor fuel tax revenue. Uh, and it, and it's ex- exacerbating the, the issue that we're having with the motor fuel tax not being sustainable to pay for the spending. And I think that's something that states could look at in the short term, making sure that they raise enough money to pay for the, their um, expenditures. Because as I said, this is not necessarily a... This is not necessarily a policy that needs changing uh, January next year, but there there are certain things they could do right away that would make it better, that would make their current systems better as they figure out how their transportation funding will look down the line. Because as as, um, passenger cars get more efficient and drives more miles per gallon, as more electric vehicles gets on the road, this problem will become bigger and bigger. And there will be a growing discrepancy between revenue and expenditures. And it's important if states want to keep adhering to the to the benefit principle that there is a connection between revenue and expenditures. Uh, and and um, and VMT taxes is one option, uh, but certainly certainly making sure that they're spending the revenue that they're raising currently through the motor fuel and diesel taxes on actual. Uh, maintenance of the roads would would be a good first step. And I think that's something that that at least 46 states need to take a look at. Yeah. And, you know, you talk about the benefit principle, but it's really just, it's a clear case of user pays. And there's two elements here. There's the user pays part, and then there's bringing in some of those externalities like uh, congestion and pollution. But very much, it makes sense to fund it this way. You know, I come from a state where the gas tax was actually cut a few years ago and the sales tax was increased to fund more transportation. And that seems backwards to me. I'd rather my sales tax be lower and pay a little more when I actually use the roads. That seems way more equitable. And I think your paper goes into a lot of these issues, how we can have a transportation grid that funds itself, um, where the taxes are falling on the right people for the right purposes and internalizing those costs. Um, and also how we can think not just for the next few years, but think about the future. So again, thanks, Ulrich. Really appreciate you spending some time talking about this. Again, the paper is titled, Who Will Pay for the Roads? It's available on the Tax Foundation website at taxfoundation.org. Again, appreciate you spending the time with us, Ulrich. Thank you, Jared. And that wraps up this episode of The Deduction. We'd love to hear what you think about this podcast. Please let us know at taxfoundation.org slash podcast.